0: From Washington, VOA presents Issues in the News.
1: Hello and welcome to Issues in the News. I'm Kim Lewis and joining me on the panel this week are VOA Senior Diplomatic Correspondent Cindy Sane and VOA Executive Producer Steve Reddish. Welcome, Cindy and Steve. Thank you, Kim.
2: Glad to be here.
1: Well, here are the issues. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky said he is convinced that the missile that landed in Poland and killed two people was not Ukrainian. Poland and NATO have both said the missile was likely caused by a Ukrainian air defense missile, although Poland's prime minister said it is possible the incident was the result of a provocation from the Russian side. President Biden indicated the missile did not seem to be from a Russian attack. In comments to reporters from the Group of 20 Summit in Indonesia on Wednesday, he also said there would be an investigation. Here in the U.S., former President Donald Trump announced his candidacy for president in the 2024 elections, despite midterm turmoil. Former Vice President Mike Pence said that Republicans have better choices for president than Trump. House Republicans are celebrating their majority in the House of Representatives after the midterm elections, though they did not get the red wave on election night as they predicted. Democrats held the Senate with narrow but decisive wins in Nevada and Arizona. The results of Georgia's runoff election between incumbent Senator Raphael Warnock and Republican Herschel Walker will determine whether Democrats have a one-seat cushion in the Senate. A small but vocal group of election deniers rallied outside Arizona State Capitol to protest Kerry Lake's loss in the gubernatorial race against Democratic candidate Katie Hobbs. Those are the issues, and let's get started. Well, Cindy, a flurry of urgent and high-level diplomatic talks have been taking place among NATO members as more details emerge following a missile that struck Polish territory. What is the latest on this
0: incident? Well, you're right, Kim. That explosion in Poland, where two people were killed, did trigger a storm of diplomatic and military consultations. NATO held an emergency session, and it also really triggered fears a possible wider war between NATO and Russia, with Poland, of course, being a member of NATO and with all the members of NATO being obligated to defend one of their members under Article 5 in case of an attack. U.S. officials were very cautious from the beginning, saying, let's not get ahead of things. Let's wait and see what the facts are. And President Joe Biden is disputing Ukrainian President Zelensky's comment that the missile was not of Ukrainian origin saying that's not what the evidence shows so far. And U.S. officials are saying there is a joint investigation led by the U.S. and Poland, and they will get to the bottom of it and, you know, see exactly what happened. Ukraine wants to be a part of this investigation, while Russia has denied responsibility and called it a deliberate provocation which I think is unlikely. But the incident did take place as Russia launched a massive wave of rocket attacks against Ukraine, especially Ukrainian energy infrastructure. And some observers are saying, you know, it's the most likely thing is that it was a Ukrainian defense missile that accidentally went astray and landed in Poland. And you've had the NATO secretary, General Stoltenberg, saying, ultimately, Russia is responsible because of this barrage of missiles and this needless aggression and war which is going on.
2: There wouldn't have been any missiles landing in Poland if it hadn't been for Russia's war on Ukraine. I think that's the bottom line of what Stoltenberg is trying to say. For the first time in my life, I thought we may really be on the precipice of a direct war with Russia after those missiles landed in Poland. President Biden's stakeout at the G20, when I was listening, I thought he actually misspoke when he seemed to fumble that response and said that the missile did not seem to be launched from Russia. But while he may have seemed uncomfortable in saying what he said, as the minutes ticked away... Without any kind of clarification, the realization kind of set in that in a low key manner, what he did at the moment was kind of take down the temperature over the situation for the 24 hours before that. There were all kinds of speculation as to how these missiles landed in Poland and where did they come from and whose were they? And I found it interesting that Biden took that time at that stakeout to actually say that, well, hold on a minute these missiles may not be launched from Russia, unlikely that they are, let's hold off a little bit. I found that kind of taking a lot of the edge off of that story. I also found it interesting that the Biden administration had to clarify comments a few days ago from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, who praised Ukraine for what he said was success after success after success, and noted that Russia's military was quote, hurting really bad. And Millie said that there could be a political solution, a negotiated solution, because Ukraine is in a position of strength. But any hint that the U.S. is pushing for a negotiated settlement raises alarm bells in Ukraine and for Ukrainian supporters that the U.S. may be losing its backbone for supporting Ukraine's military pushback against Russia and their goals of expelling Russian soldiers and Russian occupiers from its turf. So, even though that it seems like winter is setting in and perhaps the fighting on the ground may be frozen over, so to speak, there's still a lot remaining as far as the direction of this war, which way is it headed? Will Ukraine be victorious? How long will some sort of military stalemate last for both Biden and Billy this week? I thought that both of them had moments where The situation could go either way.
1: Russia's war on Ukraine was one of the big topics at the G20 summit in Indonesia. How did this latest incident
0: in Poland affect their agenda? It definitely impacted it, Kim, with world leaders huddling together almost immediately. And there was a lot of concern that the whole issue of a joint statement, which usually happens at the end of these things, it would be difficult to get everybody together to join in and unite on a statement condemning Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But in the end, it did happen. Most members deplored in strongest terms the aggression by Russia against Ukraine. And what many were surprised by, there was an active shift by China and India, with China and India signing on to this strong statement and sort of joining in on the democratic side that you said basically one country simply cannot invade another country and disrespect its territorial integrity. So that was something that did come out.
2: Yes, that was quite significant. I was going to just ask Cindy if Biden's meeting with the Chinese leader, President Xi, did that have anything to do with China's movement on this situation?
0: Yeah, I think that's a very insightful question, Steve, and I think it may well have done, because to be honest, it surprised me a bit too. You know, I thought maybe they would just say, oh, you know, we're not going to get involved or whatever, but it could have been a combination of that and then the significant Ukrainian victory in Kherson, maybe with China thinking we don't want to get on the loser's side in this, but yeah, I think that's a good observation there. Well, we'll move on to our next topic. Here in the U.S.,
1: former President Donald Trump announced his candidacy for president in 2024. Reaction has been mixed across the political spectrum. And given the number of lawsuits and the January 6th hearings, is it likely that the former president would be able to stay in the race?
2: Well, so many Republicans begged the ex-president, to hold off his announcement because there were so many indications from the midterm election results that Donald Trump's campaign of complaint and denial that he lost the 2020 election, that it turned off so many voters. Republican leaders saw that the country, especially those independent voters, those voters who are not Republicans, not Democrats, they were tired of Trump and with their votes showed that they are moving on. I watched Trump's announcement, and while he didn't outright say that the 2020 election was stolen from him, so much of his speech was aimed at that grievance and other grievances. And I'm just fascinated at how many Republicans are still out there who see how Trump is weighing down the party, but cannot get to the point of repudiating him outright. While some have and have actually said it's time for the ex-president to move on and for the party to move on from him, there are still many Republican leaders, many of them who are in the House of Representatives, who still are loyal and will support the ex-president's theories and agenda that the 2020 election was stolen from him and will continue to support him.
0: Yeah, I also watched Trump's announcement, and he seemed very subdued, as many other people also commented. It almost seemed like his heart wasn't really in it. And of course, a big part of that was the timing, because, you know, he can say whatever he wants, but Republicans did not have the election that they thought they would. There was no red wave, of, we called it, with red being the Republicans. The timing was not good for him, and as Kim indicated, a lot of observers think that he may have been trying to get out in front of possible indictments coming because of him trying to get the Georgia election results overturned and because of the highly classified documents that he took with him to Mar-a-Lago and refused to give back. So there's a lot of things now where people are just kind of waiting for a shoe to drop on that. Also notable was that his daughter, Ivanka, and son-in-law, Jared Kushner, were not there at the announcement, and they both played very active, very prominent roles in his administration with Ivanka saying that she loved her father, but from now on out, she was going to concentrate on her family and on supporting him outside of politics. And we've also had a number of major Republican donors, billionaires come out and say, you know, it's time for a new generation of leaders in the Republican Party and also saying that Trump basically is a three-time loser because he lost in the 2020 election and then lost the control of the Senate then and then also, you know, lost in a big way. The candidates he supported mainly, a lot of the prominent ones lost in this election. So that's going to be another interesting thing to watch is what the donors do.
1: Yes, and also just to mention former Vice President Mike Pence in his book, So Help Me God, there were some excerpts in there that I read where he talked about the working relationship and the friendship that he had with Trump, how that deteriorated during the weeks after the November 2020 election. That's also another interesting point to this.
2: Yes, it is interesting, and Pence has been very reluctant to vote actually say that he's breaking with Trump. What he said earlier, that the Republicans have better choices for president in 2024. Pence, no doubt, is looking at a possible run for president. He's been on a book tour. He just held a town hall on CNN. So he's testing the waters and seeing if the temperature is right for him. But the bottom line on Trump is he's got about 25 to 30 percent percent of Republicans who will march in lockstep behind him. Will that be enough to win the presidential nomination in what will likely be a crowded field of candidates? Possibly. Because of the rules of the Republican Party during the presidential primaries, where each party holds its own elections on who should represent the party for all of the various offices in the general election. Republican rules are if the candidate with the most votes in a state primary, they win the entire delegation from that state. It's a winner take all primary. Democrats have proportional voting, meaning delegates are allocated on the percentage of the votes the candidate gets in the state. So if one candidate wins 30 percent, that candidate gets 30 percent of the delegates from that state and so on and so on. In the nominating convention, the candidate with the most votes wins the nomination under the winner-take-all primary rules that the Republicans have, it's possible for Trump to run the table if he can get his hardcore voters out to vote for him in the primaries. And that is what most Republicans are really afraid of and may force the party to change some of its rules.
1: Well, we'll take a quick break. And when we return, we'll discuss more on the midterm election results issues in the news is coming to you from the voice of america in washington if you would like to download the program it's free on itunes just click on the itunes tab on our website at boanews.com issues while you're there check out our other programs press conference usa and encounter also visit us on facebook and leave a comment or two then like us at current affairs with carol castiel now back to our panel via skype VOA senior diplomatic correspondent Cindy Sain and VOA executive producer Steve Radish. Well, Republicans captured control of the House despite a disappointing midterm election for them. So what does this say about the two major parties of the U.S. right now?
2: Well, the two big reasons why Democrats did so well. One, voters rejected extremist candidates. Those who denied that Joe Biden won the 2020 election and and said that Trump had this election stolen from him. More importantly, most of that happened in the swing states, in states like Arizona and Pennsylvania and to an extent, Wisconsin. Although the Democrat for Senate lost that race, the Democrat for governor won that race. The other reason Democrats did so well, abortion. The Supreme Court's ruling in June, taking away a woman's right to get an abortion activated women and young voters to turn out in high numbers, many of them voting for Democrats. And so we now have split party control in Congress. Republicans will have the majority in the lower chamber of the House of Representatives, while Democrats control the upper chamber, the U.S. Senate. And that means likely we're going to see a lot of investigations by the House of Representatives The Biden administration, especially the Department of Homeland Security, Immigration and Border Control, they're going to investigate, investigate, investigate the Biden administration and Democrats' policies all the way through the next couple of years. We're going to hear a lot about the laptop of the president's son, Hunter Biden, who used to be on a board of a Ukrainian corporation. We'll also see, likely, if the ex-president gets indicted for the various different alleged crimes, Cindy, that you outlined earlier, if we see an indictment, likely the House of Representatives will start investigating the Justice Department and tying the Justice Department up in all kinds of hearings. So we're going to see a lot of that kind of political wrangling and finger-pointing by members of the House of Representatives over the next couple of years.
0: Right. I would agree with what Steve said, but just point out that in the House, it looks like that uh, Republicans will have the thinnest of majorities, and that could even be a bit wobbly if God forbid someone passes away or is ill or decides to resign or perhaps gets indicted or there's a host of different things that could happen where we could possibly even see the majority switch hands again. If Kevin McCarthy does become the next speaker, as he wants to do, I think it's going to be a very, very difficult job. And as Steve said, there are some extremist election deniers, quite a few, actually, on the House Republican side. They are going to mainly be focused on getting attention and making outrageous statements. So I think it's going to be an unwieldy and it's going to be a tough job for whoever does become the Speaker of the House.
2: For sure. He's going to have his hands full trying to keep all of the Republicans in line. It was kind of the same thing for the last two years in both the House and Senate, where the Democrats had very thin margins. And the current Speaker of the House, at least until January, Nancy Pelosi, had to also wrangle her caucus and make sure that all of the Democrats that were voting in a block and there were few, if any, defections. So, yeah, it's going to be kind of a free-for-all in the House of Representatives.
1: Yes, and also wanted to look at this runoff race, the Senate race in Georgia that's coming up on December 6th between Senator Raphael Warnock and Republican Herschel Walker. Should Warnock win reelection, it would offer Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer flexibility in the moments he loses the votes of either Senator Joe Manchin or Senator Kirsten Sinema. Who does it look like Georgia will choose?
2: It was a close election. Warnock had a less than a one percentage point lead over Herschel Walker once all of the votes have been counted, but neither got over 50 percent. So we have this runoff in a few weeks. If you go back two years ago, there were actually two runoffs for Senate seats in Georgia. And The outcome was going to determine whether Democrats or Republicans held the Senate. And both Republicans lost those runoffs, giving the Democrats control of the Senate. Many pointed to the reason of, at that time, President Trump going to Georgia, campaigning, but also pushing this idea that the election was stolen from him, that you couldn't trust the vote et cetera, et cetera, it kept a lot of Republicans at home. And as a result, the Democrats won that race. And that is why many Republicans wanted President Trump to hold on and not announce for president because they feared that his announcement would affect and help tip the coming runoff in Georgia to the Democrats. Now that the control of the Senate is pretty much set in Democratic hands, It's going to be a lift for both Republicans and Democrats in Georgia to get their people out to the polls. Democrats do have a little bit more of a reason to get out because that 51st vote is very, very important. Republicans also have reason because a 50-50 Senate, you've got, as you mentioned, Kim, conservative to moderate Democrats within the Senate caucus who might flip one or another or at least hold up the Senate as far as what it wants to do.
0: And as Steve said, I think it will be interesting to see if former President Trump goes back to campaign for Walker and if Walker will want him to. And I had the opportunity to go to Atlanta a couple of weeks before the election and to go to a big rally on the Democratic side where former President Obama came to support Reverend Warnock. 7,000 people there and waiting in a long line to get in. And I asked the ladies standing behind me, what brings you out? And they said, Barack Obama brings us out. So the former president is very, very popular among Georgia Democrats. And interesting to see whether he comes back out to try to get the vote out for Senator Warnock.
1: Very interesting. And over to Arizona, where there was a small group of election deniers outside of Arizona state capitol to protest Carrie Lake's loss in the gubernatorial race against Democratic candidate Katie Hobbs. So do you see Carrie Lake mounting a legal challenge to the results, or will she concede to Hobbs?
2: I have no doubt that she'll lodge and file some sort of legal challenge to the vote once it's all finished and before it's certified. That said, if you look at some of the exit polls in Arizona where ex-president Trump really tried to pound the stolen election idea back in 2020, if you look at the exit polls, about three quarters of the voters in Arizona said, President Biden won the 2020 election fair and square if Carrie Lake continues to press that, she's going against the tide of the people and how they view election fraud in the state of Arizona.
1: Well, no doubt the midterm elections of 2022 have been very interesting, and it's still not over yet. But it's time now to find out what is weighing on the minds of our panelists this week. Cindy, what is
0: weighing on your mind? Well, it's a perfect segue, actually, Kim, because this whole issue of election deniers has been weighing on my mind. And I'm thinking of President Biden the day after the election saying it was a good day for democracy and that it was a strong rejection of election deniers and political violence and intimidation. And there were fears, especially in Arizona, as we just talked about, that there could be violence and there could be intimidation, which fortunately there wasn't. And I think it's a sort of a good news, bad news situation, because as Steve said, in the so-called battleground states, the states that can go either for Republicans or Democrats, only 14 of 94 election deniers won for positions where they would have really been overseeing statewide election results. So I think that is a good result for democracy, whether it's Republicans or Democrats, just whoever actually wins, in my opinion, you know, whoever wins should be the winner. And I just hope that we can all agree on that. And some analysts have said election deniers lost these midterms, but they're not done yet some of them, you know, may be back in 2020. So I think that's something that all of us who are fans for democracy should be very vigilant about.
2: Thank you. And uh, Steve? Well, we just had election day, which is in November. And next week is American Thanksgiving, which means Christmas isn't far behind. And then it's New Year's Day. Where did the time go? Where did the year go? It just felt like it went by in a blink. And maybe it's because as we all get older, it feels like time goes by faster. But I'm just stunned at how fast 2022 kind of is slipping away through our fingers.
1: And we'll close the show on those thoughts. My thanks go to our panelists, VOA Senior Diplomatic Correspondent Cindy Sane and VOA Executive Producer Steve Reddish. I'm Kim Lewis, and thanks for joining us for Issues in the News.